tonight on Unsolved Mysteries. Where's Pam Page? Kansas City Arsonist? Wallace Thrasher? And Doppelganger. Hi, I'm your co-host, Crystal. And I am your other co-host, Robert, and this is Reenacted, an Unsolved Mysteries podcast. Crystal? Yeah. Um, What's going on, buddy? <laughs> well, I think we had alluded in some previous and relatively recent episodes about doing uh-huh. some sort of contest. Uh mm-hmm. And I've assembled the prizes for the contest, but I don't recall what our stipulation was to in order to mm. be a participant. <laughs> yes. Well, I think this is a really good way to get a bunch of emails from people to remind us what the contest was. But if I recall correctly, we were trying to get to 100 iTunes reviews. Oh, yeah. And that if you were, if you were the 100th and you left a, a name... And uh, a review. I mean, you can say whatever garbage you want in the text of the review. Just make sure it's five stars. If you're living as a one star review and you're the hundredth review, I'm not. We're not sending you anything. Yeah. But uh, we were going to call it out on the on the pod. Was the idea. Now, um, functionally, how do you figure out who's the hundredth person? Like, because like many of the ratings don't come with someone writing a review. If we hit a hundred and I guess I'm going to assume the hundredth person is the person who wrote the last person that wrote the text. Okay. So if we're at like 104 reviews and there's four people who wrote a text review, then I'm going to count backwards to what I would. It's not very scientific. Well, I, I admittedly. <laughs> How about that? It, okay. And admittedly, it's not. That? It's not like the stakes are very high, considering that the the grand prize is a uh, uh, envelope full of promotional gift cards, many of which expired in June. Okay. Well, tell the people what they can expect to receive oh. if they win the contest. Well, maybe I don't want. I won't reveal all of it all at once here, but. Uh, it's a it's a very very nice looking blue envelope uh you know gift card uh uh-huh. not not gift card greeting card sized and i mean when you open up it's just full of stuff and i'll just i'll just go ahead i'll i'll mention one right now there is a promo um rate card redemption something or ever for for hello fresh um now that expired in june so it's not it's not so fresh it's like goodbye fresh (laughs) is what you're saying wouldn't it be more like goodbye stale or even goodbye rotten no Mm. okay yeah yeah so um but of course Longtime listeners of the pod know the the gag on this. I mean, the, those who have received a whether it's an expired Hollywood video 
one dollar off your next purchase of the Twilight Zone radio dramas gift mm-hmm. uh, gift card, or it's um, or it's a current um, uh, and good, uh, still good for redemption, uh, special like free fries or something at Del Taco. Uh, it's uh, we we give out prizes that uh the prize is not of what is value what is of value is that it's coming in a frame with um something nice in the frame (laughs) and and okay yeah right now i'm trying to remember how to access our itunes reviews i remember that apple does not make this easy (laughs) for us oh here we go Oh, we're not close to 100 yet, so no one's getting it. Okay. Oh, there's a nice review, though, I could read. Oh, okay. This is nice. From earlier this year. It's not recent, but I never look at these things. Five stars from Green Window. It's actually Green Window. Uh, great time remembering the episodes. I started at the beginning. I feel like they get more comfortable and in the groove with each episode. Love it. Glad to see it's still going ongoing. Hey, thanks, Green Window. <laughs> okay so the the reviewer's name is green window yeah but that was i'm guessing our 78th review so okay oh you shoot <laughs> okay well we, i need to get it together over here i lost my uh, uh wiki notes page for the uh one of the segments we're going to talk about here. well um that's that's not that's not too much of a problem because I still have my notes jotted down on, you know how when you start writing checks out to charities, other charities start sending you stuff, and um, mm-hmm. to try to get you to send them checks and and inevitably there's some sort like either they're going to send you uh, greeting cards. Which, I, I mean, I don't mind so much because then it means I don't have to go out shopping for Christmas supplies. I already have all my Christmas cards and gift wrap and <laughs> stickers and to and from already assembled. Uh, th- then they also uh, send you a lot of notepads, right? Oh, yeah. So What about your uh, address labels? Wait, you were saying greeting cards, but... Oh, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I do have tons of of address labels. Now, what's the point of that? Because I know, well, I know the point is that they're like, "Here, we printed this for you already. Here, please pay pay us." Mm-hmm. But like, didn't nobody ask you to do that? Well, yeah. Well, <laughs> I mean, uh, who's going to a- ask to be guilt tripped into sending money, right? Right, and it kind of makes me want to donate to that charity less because it seems like they don't have their financial priorities in order. Like, why are they spending all this money on printing address labels nobody asked for? Uh, it must be that, like, someone that from who graduated from MIT must have, you know, cranked the numbers, sat down, added it all up, and found that they got they got far more contributions doing that, and it offsets the costs of the of the labels i I guess that would that would be the reason right yeah i wonder if this is a thing in other countries 
I feel I feel like people in Europe or Australia that are listening to this are like, what are you talking about? <laughs> right. And they're like, the, the, gist the of charities this is, are sending is, you things? <laughs> yeah, the charities are sending us stationary and return address labels with the intent of us feeling compelled then to donate money because they've provided the service for us. Yeah. I want to know, is that happening other places? This seems like dumb (laughs) (laughs) in in, in a way it also kind of feels scammy because it's like i didn't you know whatever whatever fund it is that does the address labeling i didn't ask for that i didn't no one wanted you to do that right i mean they're totally trying to manipulate you now granted i mean I i wouldn't say it necessarily quote works on me but i do kind of approach it from like from the perspective of when um when one of these charities sends me like a whole thing of christmas cards and the uh to and from for it to put on wrapped christmas gifts and pa- wrapping paper i'm like oh i don't have yeah. to i just don't have to go out and buy all this stuff now this is great i'll i'll go ahead and cut you a 25 dollar check on this um I really wish you'd also send me some gifts so I don't have to go out shopping for those as well. I can just, you know, have have my yeah. shopping for my friends <laughs> already taken care of. Now, it's So it if you're like a charity you're... and you're listening to this, <laughs> um I want to get uh for my friend Mel uh when I go over there for dinner, we've been watching um that show Only Murders in the Building. So, oh, it's good show. Yeah, good show. Uh, I want to. Uh, I was looking at their their uh, online store. Uh, there's some stuff. Uh, just get in contact with me, and I'll 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 write you a list of what what I need to get people for for this Christmas, and I'll I'll cut you a check. You know, uh, this um. is very specific, <laughs> but I would like to be gifted a sweater that smells like Steve Martin because I'm sure he smells fantastic. Oh, interesting. Do you know what I mean? I feel like it's probably not overwhelming, but it's he's older. He's an older gentleman these days, but I feel like he probably doesn't smell like old man, and I feel like his breath is probably really fresh. So I feel like there's probably like a minty, like light aftershave quality to the sweater. So like, if you're on their only murder store, can you see if that is a thing? Like Steve Martin's uh, a, a sweater that smells Warden like Steve sweater. Martin, and uh, and if so, uh, I know you said his breath probably smells like mint. What 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 do you picture Steve Martin smelling like? Just like really like clean and not overwhelming, and I don't think he has old man smell. Okay, I'll keep. Uh, yeah. what's what size uh, uh sweater? It doesn't matter. It's for me to cuddle with. Oh, <laughs> I I'm see. not gonna wear it. <laughs> Okay. Or I'm just going to put it on Dave. <laughs> be like, here, let's, I want to re- reenact some stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um. Okay. Uh, we, we're just reenacting the movie F- Father of the Bride. <laughs> <laughs> Father of the Bride. That's a, okay. Okay. I'll be Diane Weist. You can be Steve Martin. um okay anyways (laughs) hey do you want to talk about unsolved mysteries okay so what is a season seven episode 14 it sure is now we had talked about this segment a while back 
when we were supposed to record, we're a little delayed in doing that. Mm-hmm. And uh, I went back and rewatched this, and I th- I think the sort of one of the points of interest is kind of a blink and you'll miss it because I didn't I didn't see it. There's a there's a lot of action around a video store in this segment. Yes, th- I mean that that got my interest immediately. So take us through it. <laughs> oh yeah, because this is my segment. Let's go. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Well, um, this segment it, it started out with uh, they they have you know stack somewhere in Los Angeles with a, a large uh, portrait uh, picture of one Pam Page who regrettably is. Um, Actually, I don't have in my notes. Do you recall, hmm. is she dead or just perpetually missing? You know, I am looking at the wrong dead woman's uh, notes. <laughs> <laughs> I was looking at Kathy Page's uh, wiki entry, and no, it is Pam Page. Sorry, what's the question? <laughs> uh, do we? Is she alive <laughs> or dead? dead she's dead right that seems to be that's yeah she's totally dead yeah yes yeah yeah yes okay unequivocally she has died okay but there seems to that seems to be the mystery here is like oh she's this is like a disappearance right right but really what it is is an unexplained death right right yeah because um pam and her her husband rob you know, so the pages, um, they, uh, they owned a, a video store together. So it's always fun to yeah, see, right. see one of those depicted with all the VHSs. Um, mm-hmm. but, uh, the segments after, you know, stack gives the little intro on, the uh, uh, Mrs. Page, we get reenactments of like Rob coming down and finding, uh, Pam sort of laying on the couch and he's asking her, "Hey, what's going on?" She's like, "Oh, my back isn't is you know out of whack." So I thought I'd come down here and lay down on the couch and look at old family photographs and be crying. Uh, which, uh-huh. I mean, we we all have our own remedies for if we're suffering some from some sort of ailment, and I guess that mm-hmm. <laughs> we're supposed to believe, believe from Rob that that's what Pam would do. Mm-hmm. Th- then the next morning comes down i guess she's still in the living room but she's she, as she said i'm sorting through some clothes for goodwill and you know rob's like hey are you gonna go open our video store and she's like i don't really feel well and so rob rob in the reenactment who is wearing jeans and i, I don't know i guess i'd say it's a turquoise t-shirt um mm-hmm. You know, kind of nondescript, but at the same time, it looks very 80s. They sort of have a reenactment of like him coming home and finding a letter from Pam. Mm. Uh, uh, and, you know, it's like, brah, by the time you read this, I'll be far away. Uh, I've been thinking, mm. planning this thing out for months. Um, you know, uh, blah, 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 blah. Um, now, there, there's two interesting things about this letter. One, pa- 
Rob claims he he because uh, Pam said she was go- going leaving with a friend named Sarah, and Rob was uh, uh, allegedly was uh, didn't want to tell anyone at first because he was embarrassed to find out that uh, he was he was worried that people would think that maybe his wife left him for another woman. Um, yeah, he was getting cucked by a lady. Yeah, he didn't, yeah, he didn't want to share that info. No, no. I mean, the thing is, is like, I, I think, I think many people would choose to to run away with someone rather than be murdered by their spouse, which is probably certainly what happened here. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, spoilers. But, <laughs> right. Uh, but come the fuck on. Yeah. And then. No, but come the fuck on ev- every cop involved with this situation. <laughs> yeah. The other interesting thing of note about the letter was that it was typed. Mm-hmm. Which, if if I'm writing a goodbye letter to someone, I, I typically don't. Or, well, I don't. I don't. I suppose I really haven't written a goodbye letter. But if if I was writing a personal significant a letter of personal significance, I I would handwrite it. I wouldn't I wouldn't type it mm. out on the uh, on the old word processor, but. Uh, well, why would you now why would you do that well so because it would be more pers- personal if i wrote it oh. um i mean i guess i guess the advantage of typing it out would be that if it wasn't actually myself who wrote it uh mm-hmm. <laughs> it would be less obvious <laughs> yeah there's that i i would definitely type it out because uh all of my handwriting looks like i'm having a stroke Oh, I I have atrocious handwriting. Like, I mine's terrible, and I you know this is it's one of my um one of my uh, toxic personality traits, as the kids would say, because I absolutely refuse to do anything about it. I'm not trying to improve it. It is what it is. <laughs> I mean, mine looks horrible. Like if I mean if I'm writing. S- something to to someone of some personal significance i'll slow down instead of just like putting a bunch of lines on paper and you right. know it, it'll, it'll look it'll look, it'll look nicer but yeah yeah okay I mean, I mean that that's fair that's fair um i guess i guess if you if if uh if you if you type it you know that that'll help set the precedent for um for 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 not having to write it out uh anyway uh, so, you know, Rob is having to explain this to Pam's, uh, parents back in Arkansas, uh, which is where Pam yeah. originally hails from before her and Rob, uh, set up their, their video rental place in Phoenix. Um, mm-hmm. I've never really been to Phoenix, Crystal, have you? Mm, maybe once as a child maybe okay i mean i've i've been at the airport and at the greyhound bus station in phoenix Um, okay and i mean so i don't count that as really being there i would i transited through um coincidentally the greyhound bus station in phoenix is uh looks pretty nice i was supposed to go to phoenix last year i actually had purchased a plane ticket um, for winter break, hmm. uh, you know, the, the nothing week between Christmas and New Year's. And I was going to, my mom was going to pick me up in Phoenix and then we were going to go to Tucson 
And it was cheaper to fly into Phoenix and she had to drive anyway from another part of Arizona. So I was just like, oh, come pick me up in Phoenix. So I almost went to Phoenix oh. last year. But then uh, then my mom got COVID. She's fine. Yeah. So I canceled the plane ticket. But the day I was supposed to leave was the day that Southwest was having its massive apocalypse. And um, my flight wouldn't have left anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, so making a very long story short, I was supposed to go. I had a plane ticket, but I... I did not go to Phoenix last year. Okay. Regrettably. Okay. So. Wow. I, I I almost made it. Well, okay. Um. <laughs> yeah. So it. So anyway, I guess for some if reason, if you've almost been to Phoenix, send us an email at reenactedbot at gmail.com. <laughs> Tell us a story about that time. Right. <laughs> you passed through or almost went to Phoenix. Or Share, yes, share your share your missed connections uh, only in the, with the Phoenix. It's with the city of Phoenix itself. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, so, but uh, I guess Pam's father, like he was a little, he found it a little suspicious, right? And so he he was demanding mm-hmm. that Rob fax him the letter. Um. You know, and obviously Pam's father is like, I knew something. I just knew something was wrong. I mean, for one thing, I I looked I looked at the signature. It doesn't look anything like my daughter's signature. I mean, it didn't. Yeah, I guess Rob must have figured like he might be able to get away with like having the letter itself typed, but. Mm-hmm. He'd probably needed to make try to make it look like she signed it, because otherwise it would mm-hmm. just yeah, um, yeah. Anyway, Pam's family and friends were like, yeah, we knew she was dead, because uh, mm. she wasn't just gonna leave, mm. um, and like drop off. Uh, and this is where we get to like Rob Rob Page's complex convoluted uh plan alibi plans uh because uh well you know ostensibly he was going to go in to open the video store but then his truck started having problems with uh the ignition switch Uh, so he had to stop at a, a auto place and to try to look for an ignition switch but they didn't have one i don't know uh does that does that sound reasonable anyway so they they have a reenactment of him walking out from the the auto parts place and getting into the truck and trying to start it and it won't start so then they show him on the payphone. it's always fun when those pop up uh, mm-hmm. he calls for a taxi and this is like the one part of his alibi that is confirmed that like a taxi driver was like, yeah, I picked that guy up and took him to his house. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was at this point where allegedly in, in this step of the process, he finds the letter. Uh, I guess the, the letter also said she was taking all the money. So they have a reenactment of him walking into the, the video store, going to the safe, which is suspiciously kind of like just out in the open. Yeah. I mean, like, Usually you have that those things in the back room, uh, but it's like it's basically just right in the middle of the comedy section on on like a 
Some... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, because you can clearly see like the box for look who's talking to on the rack mm-hmm. when he when he wow. when he goes and he opens up the safe and it's empty. Uh, and uh, Crystal, I, I I did excitedly text you when I watched this after I watched this episode about yeah. what I saw on the wall, <laughs> which was I because I watched it again. I I like wasn't looking closely enough, I guess, the, but I did not the, catch this. The next the Star Trek the Next Generation poster. Damn! Really? You wow! You missed it. S- missed it on the second time too. Yeah, I believe you. I just, I well, I I appreciate that confidence in me, Chris. So yeah, it's it's yeah. it's a um, it's not shaped like a, a a movie poster. It's it's wider than it is tall. Um, so, hmm. and what it is, it's it's one of those cast, um, one of those cast pitch. Uh, like they have them all, mm-hmm. all the uh, all the characters together in a. Um, and it's, uh, I, I, I'm judging from the outfit that Deanna Troy's in. I'm going to say it's an earlier season episode, uh, uh, earlier oh, season, okay. early, earlier season cast picture. Um, mm-hmm. maybe season two. Well, this would have taken place in 1989. I don't know how faithfully the reenactment was being to which season of Star Trek they were in in 1989, but it's most certainly not exceeding anything that's like past 1993. Yeah. Can we pause here for a second and talk about the money? This dude's very sick truck. It's awesome and distinctive, as Robert Stack says. (laughs) And the fact that his wife had a Corvette Oh, okay. Like, Let, let's talk about this dude's sick truck. Which, yeah, I did. I did note note the flames uh, painted on it. Yeah, along with- it had the name of his video store <laughs> with the phone number on it, and then flames. It was like a lifted, looked like a lifted one of those old style like Toyota. It wasn't Tacoma back then, but you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. Like uh, maybe maybe not not a Ranger, um, but yeah, well, yeah. It was like an off road custom job truck okay yeah i mean i then i would be fine with driving a vehicle that like just said video store you know whatever video store and a number on it i mean Mm -hmm. (laughs) not even for advertising a business just as Mm -hmm. as the decoration and yeah i could see you in it yeah no i um it's like yeah uh it's his truck is a lot like um in terms of its shape, size, and and design, it it, it kind of reminds me of the truck that Marty wanted at the beginning of Back to the Future, and yes, and that he had at the end of Back to the Future. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's that kind of truck. Yeah. Yes. Uh, it's like that, and then and then so the wife Pam has this brand new Corvette. I didn't even realize it was a cor- Corvette. That's awesome. Yeah, the cor- well, the Corvette is part of the alibi. It's like, oh, the Corvette was parked at a donut shop. Yeah, th- and this this is where things get, like, suspicious. Well, they're already suspicious. But what what's funny is, like, yeah, because she's, like, she she drove the Corvette, but she was going to leave town with, I guess, this, this Sarah in some other vehicle. Yeah. 
and something less flashy, I, I assume. Yeah, than a bright yellow Corvette. Yeah, and what's what's so <laughs> what's so interesting about because like the, this this Corvette is located in the parking lot of Windchill's Donuts, mm. mm-hmm. uh, but this. <laughs> It's across the street from the auto parts place that Rob, mm-hmm. I mean, so either it would have had to have been just like the one of the most extraordinary coincidences you could think of, um, mm-hmm. which it would have been, if Rob's story had been true, it would have actually been funny if like he was still in the parking lot of the auto parts place when, mm-hmm. <laughs> when, when his wife was parking the car, but. Anyway, uh, I guess it, I don't know, I mostly just struck me as kind of, um, must have been laziness on Rob's part or something, right? Like, mm-hmm. he's trying to con- con- concoct this alibi, so he's, you know, he's moving vehicles o- all over the place, uh, and he's, he's, he's gonna mm-hmm. park, uh, he's gonna park Pam's, uh, Corvette somewhere, but he just parks it across the street from where allegedly he was having truck engine trouble right and then he didn't know he didn't find the corvette until the next day that's part that the cops were like how did you miss that it was directly across the street from the auto parts store that you said you were at for several hours right right yeah so what actually what actually happened was (laughs) the truck was at the video store the entire time Mm -hmm. he did whatever he did to Pam, drove the Corvette over to the donut shop. Then, because none of the employees at the auto parts store recall seeing his truck or talking to him at all. Yeah. Then he goes, uses the payphone, calls a taxi, and has the taxi pick him up from the auto parts store. Mm-hmm. So that he could... That's exactly what happened. So that he could arrive home to, quote, find the note. Right. Um... And this is so he's the one that drove the Corvette to the donut shop. He did it. Yeah. Yeah. This is like not rocket science, guys. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, like eventually the cops are like, wait, as you said, they're like, how did you not notice the Corvette? And it's bright yellow. Yeah. And so Rob, (laughs) uh, He, f- sensing his alibi crumbling to pieces, is like, oh, okay, okay, okay. Mm-hmm. That's not quite what happened. Um, mm-hmm. All right. So I like a few months ago, I was on the computer and I found the the letter that that Pam was writing about how she was going to leave me, and I, you know, I confronted her about it, and you know, I she just was like, well, I'm not going to talk to you until you cool down. Walk, walked away, and uh, you know. He he says he came home. He kind of found. Uh, I mean, this is his second story. Uh, found the uh, the living room in a state of like disarray. Was you know like as if someone was mm-hmm. hurriedly packing. Uh, you know, he went went up. Uh, all their said he found all their uh, family uh, albums were gone. Um, their dog was missing. I kind of yeah. winced when I heard that. Uh, yeah. The, well, the do- hold on a sec. The dog's name was Rerun. <laughs> oh, you're right, Chris. So how could I have brushed past that very important thing? I mean, I love 
I love when like a family owns a video store and just yes. makes all aspects of their life filter through that. Yes. Whether it's the it paint perfect. job on their on their truck. Yeah. Or what they name their <laughs> what they name their dog. I mean that's yeah. If if I was Well, I guess rewind would have been better than rerun, but I also think rerun is like the perfect name for a little dachshund. Yeah. Yeah, no, totally. Which is what this dog was. But also, what happened to rerun? Um This isn't just about Pam anymore. Yeah. Yeah, I I I I got I had a sick feeling knotting up in my stomach when I when I encountered this. Right. Uh but yeah, he goes. Uh, you know, he finds like personal stuff that Pam would have taken. But then says that she left her, you know, the credit cards and her house keys on mm-hmm. the kitchen table. Um, mm-hmm. uh, it's kind of uh, kind of odd that um, uh, you think that if you're like running off and you've already allegedly stolen sixty thousand dollars out of the safe, you would. Mm-hmm. At least all, you wouldn't have any problems with like maxing out the cards before leaving town or something. Uh, right. Anyway. So, yeah, he uh, he th- this is where he says that, like, he went downstairs and I guess he decided that he was going to. Edit the letter that uh, Pam had allegedly typed up on their computer. To to make mm-hmm. it seem like less like you know to make <laughs> I I mean this is such an odd thing right like if your story is that you wrote the letter just make that your story if 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 you say that like oh yeah I you know I added some lines to it and I signed Pam's name it kind of just feels mm-hmm. like it's confirming that she didn't actually write it. <laughs> mm-hmm. So this is like a both a convoluted but also really poorly thought out <laughs> alibi setup. You know, yeah. I mean, we're not even getting to the part yet where Pam's sister Jimmy. So there's three sisters: Trina, Rena, and Jimmy. Mm-hmm. I was counting because I got I got a little confused. So Jimmy eventually goes to a police psychic, whatever. But um, yeah, I have some notes yeah, on if, that. I mean, go for it. Before we render our conclusion. Well, yeah, no. Well, I mean, he, he, yeah, they, they introduce, uh, they just like casually introduce that like, oh, I went to talk with a psychic, right? And uh, I'm not even, even going to name this psychic's name. Um, but uh, here's, 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 here are some of the things the psychic came up with, right? Mm-hmm. All right. Factory. Two four one Coolidge. Mm-hmm. Crystal in any like significantly sized city, do you think that there's a good chance you could find some place in the city where mm-hmm. you would find a factory? The numbers two four one, and mm-hmm. <laughs> presumably. Somewhere in the city, they got like some streets named after presidents, right? Um, yeah. Well, I mean, you don't even have to like. I mean, I'm sh- if like if you're making the presumption that like if if you're the quote unquote psychic, you just you know you're like 
If your city has a lot of streets named after trees, just name one of the trees. Uh, if you mm-hmm. if your city has a lot of street numbers, you just name one of those, whatever. And uh, you know, on the one of them, there's going to be a factory and whatever. Screw this mm-hmm. psychic. Um, anyway, right. in some ways, this kind of pisses me off even more than mm-hmm. than psychic. Um, you know, segments that are oriented around psychics. Cause it's just like, mm-hmm. why, why are we, this is a real segment, right? Some, a woman was murdered. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Or is at least disappeared or at least disappeared. This, I mean, this isn't just filler uh, as, as the psychic, mm-hmm. you know, feature segments are, but yeah, like yeah. Uh, the psychic, she's like, yeah, I see uh, Rob. And I mean, that's the one thing the psychic, uh, uh, to her credit, she she is at least attributing blame properly to Rob as the murderer. Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. so it said that Rob and some other woman, and I guess that's just the psychic guessing like, well, you know, he's probably like, like someone other than his wife now. Um you know, describes them doing the murder, taking the body out and burying it. Uh, this this newspaper reporter takes these clues. Uh, uh, the factory, the numbers two, four, and one, and Coolidge. And uh, uh, she did, in fact, find uh, something that was kind of factory-ish by some railroad tracks. A a sign with the telephone number two having telephone digits two four one in them and a street sign named Coolidge. This is all bullshit. Um, let me get past this part of my notes. Actually, this is where my notes end. <laughs> is that in your notes? This is all bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I already just I I felt I just felt that way. Anyway, uh, so we end with the uh, stack and he's like, um, uh, he says that. The, the most the the segment sort of ends because like unfortunately we do not find uh we do not uh we do not get any sort of information on pam alive or dead uh, mm-hmm. almost certainly she's dead uh, the the update is just like rob he divorced his missing wife uh, he's no longer a suspect in her disappearance which just doesn't make any fucking sense to me um yeah uh and uh yeah uh but what was what was of interest to me was like robert stack mentioned that rob um in a letter to unsolved mysteries he declined to (laughs) to yeah i bet he also declined a polygraph with the cops and yeah i mean i like he declined a lot of things yeah I'm, i'm assuming like rob like He's like, hey, I saw that first episode of Unsolved Mysteries where the guy basically confessed to killing his wife. Yeah, he's like, they're not getting me on that. <laughs> like he, he probably like, he probably maybe he had enough self awareness. Was like, yeah, I won't be able to con to, to to conceal how happy I am that she's she's dead. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, here's here's the thing. I started this started watching this segment and as soon as he was like well she went downstairs and she was looking through pictures and then her back hurt and then i when i got up in the morning she was getting clothes together to donate and said she wasn't coming i'm like sir 
you were putting too much detail into that. Like the more detail someone tries to add to their terrible alibi, the more suspect it becomes Mm -hmm. because it's just more things to poke holes in. Yeah. I see. So, so so your, your, your suggestion for setting up an alibi is keep it simple. Keep it simple and keep it verifiable. So if, if Rob hadn't wrote the letter if he hadn't come up with this story about this, that, and the other thing about the money, if he, if all he did was say, I don't know where my wife is, and the cab driver, and then he was, had to go to the auto parts store, and the cab driver verified picking up from, from the auto parts store, and he went home, and he said, I don't know anything, I don't know where she went, I don't know where the dog went. If he had kept it at that... I don't think any of us would be like trying to point a finger at him right now, but adding all these layers of like detail that you can poke holes in with the letter and the money Mm -hmm. and then her Corvette at the donut shop and Mm -hmm. you know, this, that, and the other thing. And I didn't call the cops because I was embarrassed. Like he thinks he is so clever. And I guess he was because he was never arrested or charged for this. Um, you know, I just, I, it kind of sounds like the cops were doing the least, even though they knew none of his story added up, which uh, immediately implicates him, I think. Um, and Rob got to live out the rest of his life freely until he died of cancer in 2009, according to the wiki. But um, so here's a little fun fact. This is not an Unsolved Mysteries update. This is a wiki update. So in July 2017, almost 28 years to the day after Pam's disappearance, her family received a formal letter from the Maricopa County Attorney's Office. The letter states that based on new interviews and investigation, if Robert Page was alive today, he would be charged with second-degree murder in Pam's case. Due to his death, the office considers the case closed. However, her family is still hoping to find her remains. Oh, all right. Well, um... Not justice, but uh, I guess uh, acknowledgement of an, <laughs> dropping yeah, the ball. Yeah, an acknowledgement that they screwed up. Yeah. You know? And not in so many words, I guess, but that's that's the implication of that. And I kind of appreciated uh, Pam's family's take, which wasn't... They weren't trying to all point fingers at Rob or necessarily get him arrested because they knew he was full of shit. hmm They just wanted to know what happened to their sister and put her to rest, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, pre- that's it. Precisely. Yes. Um, so, well, while Rob didn't get to face the uh, conventional justice of a, a prison, um, maybe at least he, we can hope he agonized uh, out of seeing his business uh, eventually go extinct. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. Like the Corvette, the custom truck, and sixty thousand dollars in cash, all from one video store. All right, that was a lucrative business back in the day. I mean, yo, Netflix, Netflix didn't exist yet, so people had to come to the no. video stores. I mean, even like. To buy new VHSs, I mean, in the 80s, you would still, to a certain degree, even be doing that at the video store, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. I don't remember how we got ours, but I'm sure that was some part of it. Yeah, not not all of the ones that um, uh, 
my family had a, as a kid came from the video store, but I definitely do distinctly remember like uh, I, I, it was a combination, the video store or uh, the longs drugs down the street from our house <laughs> in Carson city. Um, uh, you know, they had a little rack that, that longs drugs that that's where I both got some of my earliest VHS tapes and some of my earliest, uh, video and nintendo games like oh really yeah like the the second nintendo game i ever owned um you know my mom my mom let me know at some point like we're gonna go get you in a new nintendo game i was like what something in addition to super mario brothers and we go down the longs drugs and we go up to like the 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 service counter um at the front of the store, and there's this older woman uh, behind there, and my mom's like, "My son would like to buy a, would like a Nintendo game, please." And so the woman reaches down <laughs> behind the the counter, and she holds up two games, and she's like, "Here are your options." <laughs> wow. I um, in retrospect, because I I chose some uh. I chose one called Alpha Mission, which was a space shooter up. Um, I kind of feel like uh, of, of the numerous things that I wish I could time travel back and tell my younger self to do. I really wish I had told my younger self to pick the other game. Which was? Kid Icarus. I don't remember either of those games. Uh, Kid Icarus was, was one of the more like... I mean, it wasn't quite on the level of considered classic like Metroid or Zelda, but it, pretty close. Um, anyway, uh, yeah, so video video rental places. I wish I was around in the 80s so I could set one up, uh, make my entire li family's life <laughs> filter through it. Like... Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, it's kind of like, you know, how it's like the family small farm, like, you know, the whole family works on the farm. In this case, the whole family works at the video store. So there you go. Um, Rob Page yeah. definitely murdered his wife. <laughs> <laughs> we've gotten so we've gotten so uh, more confident in doing that. I, I remember in our first uh, mm -hmm. in the first season of the show we were always like well we don't want to be sued by these guys so we're like hmm well right and it was especially difficult like you already mentioned that first episode where the guy did it like and basically w had the arrogance to go on at the very first episode on Unsolved mysteries yeah so um you know that was tough but you know what it would look the dude is dead he can't sue us <laughs> yeah that's Whatever. right <laughs> um <laughs> He's dead. His his business is dead. Yeah. The concept of his business is dead. <laughs> right. Okay. Pumpkin Spice Podcast is back to talk about some of the spookiest movies out there. But this time, they aren't covering franchises. They're taking bus tickets to new cities to explore the horror happening all over the globe. So tune in to Pumpkin Spice Podcast, a bridge burner podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Check it out now. It's Pumpkin Spice Podcast. 
So, Crystal, do you want to talk about do you want to talk about Kansas City firefighting? I I do I do and I don't. Yeah. Because this is super sad. So, yeah. and also we're running extremely long, so I'm going to keep it short. Okay. Um, November 29th, nineteen eighty eight. There was a fire near a construction site in Kansas City, Missouri, not Kansas. And um, so a pickup truck was lit on fire. And then about 500 yards away, a second fire was spotted next to a storage trailer. Mm -hmm. And so the security guards who, what were they doing when someone was lighting fires? The construction site that (laughs) I didn't realize there were security guards. Right. Involved here, but I guess someone had to call 911. Um, so they, uh, the dispatch sends it to one station and then, um, and then another station. And so all told there were two stations represented, um, at the site and, um, about a quarter mile away. Mm hmm. At 4 a.m., the battalion chief arrives. So they're trying to put out the fire in the truck and then the one next to the trailer. So keep in mind, the battalion chief is about a quarter mile away from the fire at the trailer. And um, he learns at that point that there's a lot of explosives used for basically, you know, it's it's TNT, it's dynamite being because they're making a big pit in the ground or something Mm -hmm. at this construction site. Um, and so basically the battalion chief gets there and then he, as he's about to radio the, the firefighters that are over trying to put the fire out, a huge explosion goes off and, um, you know, people all over Kansas city, you know, people 12 miles away heard this explosion and felt it. It was such a large explosion. Um, and I think it was the battalion chief that talks about having, you know, been in Vietnam and seeing B-52s drop bombs and it, it paled in comparison to what this was. And, um, you know, all six firefighters that had been over there, um, were killed. And unfortunately some of, uh, one of their wives was listening, you know, had access to the dispatch radio at their workplace and, and heard all of this going on. Um, when there was no response from the two uh, two sets of firefighters that had been over there, they were not radioing back after the explosion. Mm. And um, anyway, so this happened in 1988. So by the time this is airing on Unsolved Mysteries, about seven years have gone by, and they don't have any leads in the case. So uh, what they're trying to do is figure out what happened. And so this segment is very quickly followed by an update. And uh, it this is the biggest uh, parade of redneck losers you've ever seen in your life that have oh, yes. <laughs> uh, picked up for the arson and the murders of the firefighters. And so it was George Shepard, his brother Earl, mm-hmm. who looks exactly like you would picture someone named Earl Shepard to look like. Uh, their nephew Brian, George's girlfriend Darlene, of course her name's Darlene, and then Richard Brown. And so the idea is that they had gone and set the fires because they were trying to steal supplies. I, I guess the fires were a distraction. Okay. Uh, and because they were trying to steal equipment 
and dynamite from the construction site. So I'm not really sure how the lighting the fire factors in here. Right. Because the thing is, it, it is was, like, that's the sort of distraction where the, uh, the people who are like the night watchmen are going to be like, well, we better mm-hmm. call the fire department. So that just seems like it's bringing more. Right. Pe- they're not going to, they're not going to call the cops, I guess, if it's a, f- a fire. Right. Right. So, um, so they were just just doing real redneck shit, like stealing tools or whatever. I like how one of the guys is being led uh, into jail, and he's he's just got a white undershirt on. <laughs> no, I mean this is just mullets for days. It's just yeah, this just the uh, really just gross. I'm sorry if you you're out there and you proudly identify as a redneck, but this is some real redneck shit they got up to, and they killed six people. I'm sure they didn't intend to. Right, right. But I'm also sure they didn't think about it, that that could be an effect of um, what happened. And yeah, they were actually picked up because they went around bragging about it. (laughs) And all five of them got life in prison. So it's probably the most gratifying moment in this entire episode. All of them. I guess one of them was actually released after 20 years, but. Yeah, the rest of them are gonna rot in jail until they die, and one already did. So excellent. <clears throat> All right, case closed. Yeah, I mean it's it's a very somber segment. I mean the way it like near the it kind of opens with the the pan across the gravestones of the firefighters, and you hear yeah. a different voice yeah. speaking <laughs> for each one. Yeah. I was like, well, that's that's really. Are you know masterfully executed, but also just sad mm-hmm. to have to watch. Um, let's talk about Wallace Thrasher, or as he's also let's... known as Squirrel. Yeah, let's talk about Squirrel. The segment opens with the authorities coming across a plane crash where fourteen hundred pounds of marijuana were were burning in flames. <laughs> mm. <laughs> Woo-wee. Yeah, that's what I call a campfire. I um I'm going yeah, uh, I'm just going to go ahead and say that I I think the uh, the local convenience store probably saw a huge surge in business. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you were like anywhere near that, yeah. right? It's like, man, I'm really hungry right now. Hmm. I'm Googling right now the current street value, but you keep talking. Okay. Because they, they're saying they're saying in the segment it was worth over a million dollars. And I feel like if even if you if you factor in an inflation of what a million dollars then would be now, there's no way that amount of wheat, like the value of marijuana has gone down so drastically. Oh, that yeah. there's just no there's just no way even fourteen hundred pounds would be worth a million dollars. Well, but I'm I'll I'll figure it out by the time you're done. Yeah, talking. and well, at the time of this segment, uh, it was apparently so uh, lucrative that they de- they described uh, unsolved mysteries described dope fly o- flyovers as the new moonshiners, um, and they have a little reenactment in a, a lo- filmed in some small air- airport hangar. Where they're just unloading bags, and Wallace Wallace Thrasher is described sort of like a modern day bi- bucket buccaneer. Um, uh, he's you know he's uh, he's 
not certainly not the first in the series of uh, guys who are growing marijuana and uh, making it their their business uh, that have been featured in the show. And they they show him uh, pulling up to a car with uh, his wife uh, his wife and. What I noted about this reenactment is that they got really, they own really ugly cars. Uh, and uh, uh, his wife's wearing fur coats. So that's um, uh, not exactly an elegant combination. Uh, when the authorities, but the, before the authorities could really close in on Wallace, he apparently allegedly died in a plane crash in Jamaica. They have this awkward uh, moment of the state police showing up at his house. And this guy's like, yeah, we're having the funeral right now. It's like, oh, um, okay. So then there is uh, allegedly a death certificate uh, from Jamaica. um, Where the cause of death is listed as, quote, tragic accident. (laughs) I mean, uh, I, I, that's 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 that's, that's kind of that. I find that amusing. Um, anyway, yeah, uh, the authorities believe that Wallace was actually still alive. You know that he was just like uh, he, he was using this to to sort of um, try to slip the authorities. Uh, his wife, um, I guess, like Wallace's uh, the the. This is sort of one of those plans within plans things, um, because he actually tried to try to make his wife believe that he he had died in a Central American plane crash. This segment is heavy on plane crashes or alleged plane crashes, at least. Um, and the I mean, what what I noticed about the 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 one that he. Uh, the, the plane crash he tries to have pass off to his wife that he allegedly died in was, um, uh, God, what was it? Was it uh, his ring? Like, like they brought they brought a ring, her a ring, a, a ring at the, his. I think his wedding ring as proof that like, oh, here's his wedding ring. That's what, what what one of the few things we could recover from the from the crash, um. Of course, the thing is, is the ring naturally has no scorch marks or any sort of damage. Like this fire allegedly was so hot, it basically just destroyed everything else in the plane except his ring. Um, so uh, the conjecture um, is like, OK, well, you know, Wallace, you know, he decided that he was going to, uh, you know, he was just going to run off with a bunch of cash and just restart his life somewhere, right? Uh, kind of leaving his wife hanging in the winds because she's has to now simultaneously try to convince the, the, um, uh, like, like she's like, well, I leave with my husband gone and I don't have this money. So what am I going to do? So, Instead of telling them that her husband died in the plane crash, uh, fleeing to Belize to escape the law, she was like, well, I guess if we try to tell them, we can tell them that he died in a plane crash in Jamaica. 
totally innocuous, uh, under totally innocuous conditions. Um, it's a it's a short segment, and it basically just ends with Robert Stack as as they're sort of depicting a plane going down the runway, um, and one of the authorities. Uh, it was like saying like, well, I think, I think Wallace Thrasher found his, his opportunity to exit stage left and he, he took it. And Robert Stack's ending narration is, did the squirrel, uh, did, did Wallace Thrasher really die in a plane crash or did the squirrel once again, make a dash for freedom? <laughs> and that's, that's it. There's no updates, right? It's just like, this guy totally got away. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. And, you know, I mean, if all he was doing was just running marijuana, I'm not I'm not too bothered by that. While you were running down this, I was like, let me see if I can get some numbers. OK, yeah, yeah. Do, do you have the do you have that street value? Um. So I guess it depends. Oh. OK, so I ended up getting on this Wikipedia page mm-hmm. of largest drug seizures ever of marijuana okay worldwide okay yeah. worldwide and uh so there was one in 2022 where over 38 tons of harvested marijuana were seized in oregon from an unlicensed farm so uh yes uh, weed is legal in oregon and it certainly was in 2022 however this this uh farm was n- not licensed and um fear well what they were being charged with is uh, distribution to out of state. So what this says is that 38 tons would have been valued at 76.5 million in Oregon mm-hmm. or 269 million on the US East Coast. Hmm. Because it's not legal over there. So going back to the would that amount of weed been worth one million dollars? Well at, everywhere it was illegal in the 80s in yeah. the US. So maybe. Okay. 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 Wow. You know, I don't. I don't think. I think also, would it be worth a million dollars? So that's figuring. If you have fourteen hundred pounds of it, then that's about. Let me do some quick math here. If you have, um, if Kim Palmer, uh, if 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 uh, if Wallace Thrasher is, is flying, uh, from a plane, uh, to Belize at yeah. two hundred and forty okay. miles an hour and. Kim Palmer's on the train traveling to... No, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So figuring on like uh, California retail price of, let's say, $2,000 a pound, which would be very high. Um, so it would be about $2.8 million today okay. for 1,400 pounds. Hmm. All right. But that's assuming a pretty high price but uh, you wouldn't get that obviously in california but you might get it somewhere where wheat is not legal right so um this also this wikipedia page took me down uh gave me giving me the list of all the largest marijuana seizures and there was one in 1989 called the cornbread mafia seizure and i just want to put a pin in that because we might need to (laughs) (laughs) come back to that either from unsolved mysteries or Whatever, but it was over 70 individuals indicted operating 29 farms called by federal prosecutors the largest domestic marijuana producing organization in the nation by the Cornbread Mafia. Anyway, okay. Wow.
This episode of Unsolved Mysteries ends in kind of a wacky, lighthearted segment. Yeah, this, 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 um, this is a, I, I like this segment a lot. Yeah, I, I like this too. I really liked, I, I really liked who they were interviewing. His name's Ken Palmer. He's a really, uh, it has a lot of charisma, this guy. For, for the little bit of time we get to spend with him. Um, so back in 1943, he was departing a train um, in Cincinnati to go back home to Wisconsin. Or he was from Texas going to Wisconsin. I don't know. Whatever. But he's, a, he's changing his train in Cincinnati. And as he's getting onto the train platform to wait for the next train, he runs into another... He's in the army. And he runs into another man, but in a different military uniform who looks exactly like him yeah yeah it's uh do you think the so how do you think they achieved this in the reenactment was it uh twin brothers playing each other or i mean playing no just compos composition shot of the same actor and a body double oh, okay okay because they don't ever they don't ever both show their faces at the same time it's always over the other man's shoulder. oh nice catch crystal nice catch yeah, the, ma the magic of making television. Uh, anyway, uh, so they, uh, yeah, so they, so the other man is just blown away that this guy, this other guy, Ken, looks so much like him. And they have a chit chat and then they, they exchange some weird stories. They have the same last name. Um, they talk about hometowns and families, but they, they can't quite nail down how they might be related if they are related. And uh, then there was a story about some jewels <laughs> from England, or they had to flee to England. Uh, yeah, it, it was like, um, like uh, it, it was it was some real like sixteen hundreds like shit, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, anyway, then the Ken's train is about to leave, and uh, then. Um, he asked his double to write down his name and address. And then when Ken, of course, he gets on the train, he realizes he's lost the note. Um, and he, one of the phrases that Ken drops, I wrote this down because I thought it was so charming, <laughs> um, was Ken says, if uh, I had the sense that God gave geese, I would have given him my information <laughs> as well. Right. Right. Have you ever heard that turn of phrase, Robbie? If I had the sense that God gave geese. I have never heard that expression before. Or if I did, I, I did really not register I really like it. it. I really liked it. I guess we'll just it's have to work cute. it into, <laughs> into this podcast at least three or four times each episode we record, right? Mm-hmm. Uh... The sense that God gave geese. And when you really think about that uh, colloquialism, it's like, well, yeah, geese know what to do. Right. They have good sense. Like, they go south for the winter, and then they come back up north for the summer, and... If if no one had to tell them to do that, they just do it. And if and if they met their their exact double ganger at a train station, they would not only... Mm -hmm take the information of the other geese they would also make sure to mm -hmm. give the other geese their information um yep i i kept wondering like for ken's uh for ken's uh doppelganger like what what, what must he have thought of all those years uh, you know and he never heard back from ken 
Did he? I guess since it was, you know, considering the time period, maybe he was just like, hmm, he must have died in the war. Yeah, maybe. I I just really feel like this is another one of those Facebook could solve it in five minutes situation. <laughs> oh, totally. I mean, if if this actually happened, yeah. Now I don't know why Ken would make this up, other than it's you know he's maybe dining out on the story a couple of times in his life, but. Um, <laughs> I uh, you it's know, a it's fun story nice, like right? even if he did make it up story. I wouldn't be mad at him because it, it, yeah. it's it's, it's no, entertaining it's like okay grandpa yeah. <laughs> yeah I like that um hey Robbie if people have a fun story they want to share with us how might they be able to do that send us an email reenactedpod at gmail.com um uh, I've noticed some people have like subscribed or followed some of our social media even though i I really don't put put Mm. much stuff out there um sorry yeah i'm like not really on social media i need to like (laughs) i'm just like not involved you know i think as i i as i now enter a chapter of my life where i i have like a vehicle Mm. that's going to be functioning for maybe the entire remainder of my life it's a, you can, you know, cause it's a yeah. Honda. Um, yeah, I, um, I think, uh, you know, I really, I don't have as much worries hanging over me as I might've a year ago. So I think I need to be more yeah. proactive on, uh, all sorts of podcast stuff and, uh, other things other than just blankly staring at YouTube videos <laughs> when I get home and then going to bed. Yeah. Uh, um, I hear you. Yeah. Um, yeah, I kind of, I kind of gave up being on the app formerly known as Twitter to just lurking around Reddit these days, which I don't think is a better use of my time, but I feel less um, angry when I read stuff now. Oh, good. So, good. Uh, and then anyway. Yeah. And uh, uh, also Patreon mosey over there, sign up for the $1 tier. Um, yeah. You might. Yeah. Uh, we also have a $5 tier. And who knows? Yeah, my- yeah. Thank and thank you to Catherine who recently, recently. What are we NPR? I'm calling out people who have upped their donations. But yeah, Catherine, thank you for recently upping to the five dollar tier. Really appreciate that. That's awesome. Oh. And we see you out there. And it's reenacted pods. Or wait, hold on. Patreon.com/slash reenacted pod. If you want to do that, mm-hmm. and. Um, I also want to call out, because we haven't been real good about this, but for about a year now, we have been part of a podcast collective that does sort of media analysis and uh, reviews of past movies, ongoing television shows. So if you want to check that out, I will put it in the show notes. There's some awesome shows on there. One of them is called Piloting Error, and what they do is they read pilots that were never aired for funsies. Oh, man. That sounds cool. I thought you might like that, Robbie. Yeah. So if you guys want to check out things that are sort of in the same vein, but maybe a little bit different than what we're doing, it's uh, called Bridge Burner Collective, and I will drop the website and the show notes for this so you guys can just click over there and see what else is going on and uh, apologies to all the other podcasts in our collective because we have not been real good about plugging it a year after joining so we're gonna change all of that yeah n- now um, that we've gotten this situation right where we're technically competent with this podcast mm, yes after after 
After seven years, we're we're now technically confident. We can now yeah. move on to the next phase yeah, I feel of this, pretty good. this project. All right. Yeah, I feel pretty good after seven years. Uh, hey, Robbie, do you want to do the thing? For every mystery, there is someone somewhere who knows the truth. Perhaps that someone is watching. Perhaps it's you. 